Hello, I'm John Deakson. Welcome to the Your Life Choices podcast. And if you're feeling a bit flat with so many bits of bad news floating around, everyone's feeling quite fatigued, I have an antidote, ladies and gentlemen. And the antidote is sitting right in front of me right now by the name of Sandy Kay, a freelance broadcaster, journalist, producer. And if you've not heard of Sandy, then where the heck have you been? She's been around forever. In fact, for the past 35 years, Sandy's been on our TV networks and on radio and everywhere else as well. And she's got her own little corner of the world now, podcast-wise, called A Breath of Fresh Air. Hello, Sandy. Hello, John Deeks. When so was nice. the last time we saw each other? I think we crossed paths somewhere at Channel 7 Newsroom many moons ago. Yeah, it's sort of get to that point in your life where you go, oh, we've worked together, haven't we? Yeah, so long. So The years have just flown by, haven't they? I can't believe it. i got to tell you, I was waiting for you outside with our producer, Ian Mack, and we were looking the wrong way, and there you were coming around up the up the road. You look absolutely fantastic. <laughs> You're a charmer, What's the secret, Dixie, You've always been a charmer. I'll stop it. <laughs> so let, let's go back. You're a Melbourne lady. I am, born okay. and bred. Okay, now a journalist by trade. Yes, I am. Much to my father's disgust, I ran away from an arts law degree in the mid seven, mid as to late fast 70s. As you could, yes. And uh, I had got the smell of a television studio under my skin from a very early age because I used to dance on the ABC. You probably remember the Four Schools programs. Yeah. And the dance teacher lived next door and she was doing weekly sessions on the Four Schools program. So she dragged me and her son off to the Rip and Lee Studios in the ABC and we would have to go and dance. The limousine would come and pick us up from state school. Off we'd go and then the next day everybody, the whole school would sit down in the theatrette to watch us dancing. So I was already, whoa, this is sort of what I want to do. Not only that, I had a very weird experience where my parents would go out, maybe I was like nine years old, they'd go out on a Sunday afternoon, leave me at home with my little brother. You'd never do that today, would you? No. And I would haul the living room furniture around so I had couches around me. My mother had this single rose vase, blue it was, and I would seat the beetles over here, the monkeys over here. I was totally enamoured with Dinah Shaw. You probably remember mm, her as, as a fabulous interviewer. And I would sit around pretending to interview Elvis, the monkeys, the Beatles, whoever was on, Danny Kay, Sidney Poitier, whoever was there. I was interviewing them at nine years of age. So it's kind of weird how that's come full circle. You know, it's not weird because I was at state school, at Ripon Lee State School, and uh, my mum would take me to the Channel 2 studios in Elstonwick yeah. and I would watch the shows and I've still got exercise books that we'd have, I'd go back to school and I would map out where the cameras were, <laughs> where the control room was. And it's funny how the things that you were loving back then have ended up to being, in your case, a 35-year career. Absolutely. And so you went 35 into TV- years has been really kind to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, you have moved on to another part of your life. I have. And you've joined the podcast family, of which there are it's quite a large family now, but you have taken on something that I am so jealous of because you get to speak to all of the people who are my heroes in the 70s and the 80s musically. How did you come to produce A Breath of Fresh Air and get to interview all these stars? Up until COVID, I'd been doing live entertainment reports for various radio stations. And, you know, they didn't pay for it, but I was just doing them so that I could get free tickets to the movies or to shows or whatever. It was a lifestyle thing. That's my girl. 
I remember telling somebody the best thing about radio once a young producer had started working and I said, the best thing about radio is the freebies. Yes. (laughs) So when COVID hit and, of course, nobody was coming in anymore to fill their shifts, some of my radio stations said to me, oh, do you think you could blow out your 15 or 20-minute segment into an hour to help us fill slots? Okay, I was always up for, you know, taking on a challenge. So I sat on my little trusty Apple MacBook Pro and learnt Final Cut Pro with the help of a few friends so I could start to edit. And then I've always prided myself on being a super researcher when I did a lot of Mm. research for television shows and the like, radio. In fact, I got thrown out of 3DB for using up the phone too much, for running up the bill too high to reach out to people like Mickey Rooney and the rest and bring them on for, for Rick Melbourne or Dennis Scanlon and the day. I always said I can find anybody anywhere. And, of course, they were the days way before the internet. Now with the internet, it's so easy. And once a researcher, always a researcher. Absolutely. I think that's probably my best skill. So if you've got a lot of people not doing very much, sitting around, not on tour anywhere, it makes it quite easy. I started reaching out to people. I remember one of the first was John Oates. And he said, yeah, hell, I'll talk to you, no problem. I'm not doing anything else. Yeah. So we had a chat. Of course, when you get one, it starts to build one upon one upon one. I mean, in saying that, I wasn't coming at them completely cold because of the segments I'd been doing on radio and the publicists that I had the in with. I had been doing, you know, 10-minute interviews up until then with a whole lot of different musical acts that were travelling through Melbourne or across Australia, whatever. So, And I don't always use those as little on-air clips anyway as part of my segment. So one upon one upon one, and then it just became really good fun to reach out. So like you caught one fish, you thought, oh, I might be good at fishing. Okay, I'll get some more. I was pretty good at fishing. (laughs) So I gave this show, I built the whole hour. It was 52 minutes. My dear friend, and I'm sure yours too, Sean Cosgrove, very well known in the radio industry, did my intros, outros, helped me out. I mean, I had a lot of help from Artie Stevens, took the show and syndicated it for me. So I was going, here's my show, guys. Put it on radio for me somewhere. And gradually it started to get played out on more and more radio stations around the country. The Community Radio Network took it after a lot of hassling back and forward with them. They finally said, okay, we'll feature it. And that's played out to about 60 of their stations every week. And more and more stations started to approach me to say, can we use your show? It's free. You know, why wouldn't you use it? It's got big names. They all started taking it. Once I could then boast, oh, I've got, you know, 90 stations around the world, and there were lots of stations in America, in Canada, in in, uh, New Zealand, in uh, Ghana, in South America, people just kept coming in, or I would just write to them (laughs) on Facebook and go, hey, take a listen to this show, do you want it? And everybody in COVID was in the same boat. They were all short of filling slots. So they all started taking the show and the feedback that started coming in was just superb. While I learnt to edit, I still wasn't good with the technical side of things. You know, my levels were all wrong and I was loud and the talent was soft and I started fiddling with Zoom and then I had to pay for Zoom and the cost of it started to build. In the end of that first period, I thought, I need an audio engineer here, someone who's got to take the technical stuff off me. And I put it out to um, one of those freelance sites, you know, where you Mm -hmm. you get people coming in bidding for it from all corners of the earth. And there was a guy in South America who said, I'll do it for you. 
And I remember my partner said to me, oh, how are you going to trust him? Because I wanted to pay him a few months up front so we'd be done mm. with the money side of it. So how do you trust him? I said, I don't know. I have a really good feeling about this guy. He works for a TV station doing audio for the local news a couple of hours south of Rio. And I started sending him my files digitally and he would mix master. He put a 70s filter over the top of the thing and he got right into it. He's a young guy. He said, I love these artists. I love the music. He was just so happy to do it. So there began a fabulous working relationship that's now probably going on four years old. And I still love him. I've never heard the sound of his voice. It's quite hilarious. How amazing. We only ever talk through WhatsApp messaging. Mm. And and I, I don't know how he speaks. The site is called abreathoffreshair.com.au. One word, abreathoffreshair.com.au, featuring some fabulous artists. Who was the very first artist you got to speak to? Because you're a journalist, you're an interviewer, you know, so your interviewing skills are superb. Who was the first? The Breath of Fresh Air started as radio show and it was a good year until I thought oh, I may as well whack it up as a podcast. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what podcasts were or how you do them or the rules of the game. And I have to tell you, Dixie, now even I'm 18 months or nearly two years into it, I still don't understand the rules of the game. I still don't know how you grow your show other than doing what I'm doing with you Welcome to my now. world. It's really difficult. And you're a master of traditional media. We've been doing that for so long. Mm. This is a whole new ball game that everybody plays in. And there's some atrocious podcasts out there. In saying that, there's some really good ones too. Thank you. So it was uh, it was a year or so after it being a radio show that I thought, here, just put it up and see what happens to it. So the first podcast episode that I put up when I built also simultaneously the website to go with it, was Paul Williams. And ah, Paul Williams. He was a wonderful get it. Love a song. Oh, yeah. uh, yes, the Muppets. Oh, that's um, right. He was just amazing. And he shared really personal stories of Bernie addiction Torben and recovery. Very kindly of him. He's a lovely man. Yeah. Lovely man. And I reckon he would have suffered from short man syndrome all his life. Mm. But a very beautiful interview, and he 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 doesn't do interviews. Took me ages, and again, it was because of COVID that he finally relented and said, "Yeah, okay, I'm free." Look, Sandy, let's take a break at this moment and have a listen to a little bit of your interviews so far. Um, give me one that you would like us just to have a, a listen to a grab of. Who would you like? Let's go to Gordon Lightfoot. Gordon Lightfoot. Ah, if I could, if you could read my mind, love. That's him. Okay, let's have a listen to this. Do you have any regrets? Yes, I do. Of course, I have regrets. You know, I, I've uh, let's just say nobody's perfect. Okay, just just leave it that way. I regret the way I have treated other people at times. I regret the way I, I've treated some of the, the, the women I was married to. I regret the way I've, I've ignored my children at times, sometimes for periods of years when I was really going big and I was working seriously heavy all through from 1970 to so about 1990 for about 18, 20 years there. We were playing about 90 shows a year. I made about eight albums and I didn't pay attention to my kids while I was doing that. So I regret that because I didn't pay attention at the time I'm paying for it now. Have you made it up to them now? Well, I, I repented and I do everything I can to make up for every moment that I stole from people. You've had an incredible career and an amazing life. I heard you used to throw the most fabulous parties. Do you miss those days? We had parties in Toronto that you would not believe. 
I was really well located, too. I lived in an old mansion right downtown. That was Party Central. Party Central for a lot of well-known people who came through the city. You know, I've got the band and Bob Dylan and uh, Joni Mitchell, Roger McGuinn, you know, the birds, Glenn Campbell. They've all been to, through this through my big house. Do you miss those days? Well, sometimes when I reflect on it, it is so vivid that it, that it's, it almost breaks my heart when I think about some of the moments that we enjoyed so much. You can remember the feeling that you had. All of a sudden, it comes across your mind, and it, it makes you start. It's, it makes you sit up, you know, and, and to say, God, you know, I, how could I possibly have had that much fun? Well, was that a hard one to do? Gordon Lightfoot, I think, would have to be the most difficult person I've ever had to oh, nail yeah. down. Because he was hard to work with? or not? Well, let me tell you the story. It took me at least two years of frigging around with his manager and publicist mm. to try and get permission to speak with him. And I had to be relentless. I mean, it's no good if you go in and say, can I do it? Well, you're they a tiger. Say, no, sorry. You are. You can't be doing what you're doing. No. A researcher. No, you've got to be on their and, heels every mm. week without offending them, without pissing them off. You've just got to say, sorry, I'm back. Yeah. Can we do it now? Yeah. And be prepared for them to say no. Eventually, when she said, yep, okay, Gordon will meet you on the phone, he wouldn't do Zoom. He wouldn't do face-to-face. He was too old and cruddy to do oh. any of the newer technology. All right, on the phone. Phone lines ain't so good for for doing this sort of thing. Face-to-face, much better. I'll take what I can get. I was a huge Gordon Lightfoot fan. He's got a big story to tell. I got him on the phone, start chatting with him. Dixie, it was like chatting to somebody's grandfather with their hearing aid out. Oh, dear. It was the most difficult interview (laughs) I've ever done and definitely the most difficult editing job I've ever had to do. To try and string bits of his sentences together to make him sound coherent was super hard. The interview turns out really well, and as you've heard the little grab from it, you would never know as a listener that, ah, of the, what I went the through magic behind of editing. It. Exactly. Yeah, Ian Mack does that to me every time we <laughs> do this, yeah. But I loved speaking to him and his sharing his times in the 70s and the parties he had and the women that he had and the trouble that he got himself into. And uh, at one stage said to me, oh, don't use this bit just in case my wife is listening <laughs> oh, to this. You know. It's like, yeah, okay, Gordon, just between you and me now, bring it on. So Sandy Kay, who was uh, an artist that uh, you thought, oh, this, 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 I don't know if it's going to go too well. We'll just, we'll find out. And you've just been totally surprised and it was gold. There was a guy I actually spoke to this morning that I was dreading. I'm starting to get approaches from publicists and managers, ah. which I, I guess is a good thing. They're coming in from um, most of my listening audience is in America, mm. surprisingly so. But uh, I got an approach from somebody saying, do you want to talk to Jerry Cummings? Who? Oh, he's he's the last remaining Blue Note from Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. He worked with Teddy Pendergrast and, you know, he's got some great stories to tell. I thought, oh, I can't imagine this is going to go very well. You know, his bio's not very long. And he was surprisingly great. I mean, he's a name I'd not heard of. I had to research, I mean, I have to research each of them to know what to talk sure. to them about. But I thought, oh, you know, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, yeah, m- maybe. I mean, okay. But he knocked you out. Yeah, he was awesome. And it's funny, isn't it, I'm sure you'd agree, that the last one you spoke to is always the one that you remember because you 
forget. They tend to blend oh, yeah. one into the other. I, yeah. I, you know, they not very many of them actually stand out to me. Let's come back to to Melbourne now or, or Australia. And I, I just happened to listen this morning to your delightful chat with Ross Wilson, who's a great hero of mine, uh, and and his time, well, right from growing up and. Uh, Ross Wilson was a great tale. He's so down to earth and so unrockstarly, yes, isn't he? Yes, he He's is. the most lovely he person. It's probably about the fourth time I've interviewed him over the, the past however many years. And the more you do that, the better friends you become, the more casual the conversation, the more intimate the conversation. Mm. And what I pride myself on, particularly with a breath of fresh air, is that it's warm, intimate, honest, candid chat. So yeah. it's not sort of stiff, oh, I'm up to question number four now, let's do that one. So Ross and do, was... Do you find that as these artists get older, they're happy to tell you anything. They don't care. You know, they'll tell you the truth. They're not as defensive as perhaps they would have been in the past because <laughs> Ross just opened up and said, look, you know, that didn't work, that worked, blah, blah, blah. I found him very relaxed and I find that with artists as, as you get older. Yes, I agree. If I could just digress for one moment, the other day I spoke to a producer in New York by the name of Tony Visconti. Oh, you know the name? Of course. He was married to Mary Hopkin. Those ah, were the days, right? Yeah. And I've been trying for a long time to get Mary Hopkin to talk. I'd love to hear that. And his daughter works with Mary and manages her publicity. And I've been on Twitter constantly back and forth with this woman to say, where's Mary? Can I talk to her? And it's no, no, no. She keeps blocking me. And when I said to talk to Tony, they're long divorced now. I said, could you get Mary to talk to me? And he said, oh no, she's a very private person. And I said, what is that? Because she's so shy. I mean, that kind of would go hand in hand with her history. He said, oh no, she's not shy at all. She said, in fact, if you look it up, Mary Hopkin is the most interviewed person in the Guinness Book of Records. What? Yeah. Good heavens above. So, it's because of that that she now doesn't want to do interviews. So, yes, she's gotten old. She wants to potter around in a garden, as did Christine McVie. She didn't yeah. want to do any more interviews either. Yeah. She just wanted to be left to do her gardening and yeah. she'd done enough of that stuff. But the ones who do do the interviews, like Ross Wilson, and I mean, they're all in their 70s or 80s now, the ones I speak to, and they are, they've mellowed. We tend to mellow as we age and they're happy to to give out their innermost secrets. If our folks go to breathoffreshair.com.au, how many interviews are they likely to see that you've done, Sandy Kay? I think there's more than 100 up on the wow. website. Something for everyone. Yeah, there is. When I built it as a radio show, as a radio producer, my knowledge was to do six segments an hour. Sure. Yeah, so it was fast-paced and we were doing movie reviews and news and all sorts of things. I couldn't keep up the pace. Three interviews every show plus all these other segments. It was crazy. So I went from doing three segments down to letting each interview breathe. The earlier shows are three artists. And I'm kind of sorry that I did that because I would talk to them for no longer than about 20 minutes each. Mm. And they were sort of on the surface sort of interviews. We didn't have time to get down to the nitty gritty, really. I might go back and revisit a lot of those guys and get you know, down and dirty with them and play in the weeds rather than just the top-notch stuff. Well, before I let you go from our Your Life Choices podcast today and uh, a breathoffreshair.com.au is the place you want to go, as I say, with so much horrible things happening in the world today, this is a breath of fresh air. Who is the artist that you want to get? Who, who, who is the one that you haven't got that you say, there is my holy grail, I'll be happy if I can get that person? There's a few. Go oh, on. There's a few. Name, one name, of them Sandy I, One of them I keep chasing is Ringo Starr. 
Uh, Good and luck with that keep, too, by the way. Well, she keeps coming back to me, management, and really? saying, yeah, but not yet, yeah, but not yet, yeah, but not yet, and I keep coming in. Uh, You're tenacious, aren't you? I, well, I, I'm like be. a terrier. Yeah. I, I mean, I, that's what my whole journalistic career has been. Absolutely I've, I've it is. built my All right, Ringo Starr, who else? Mavis Staples was another oh, one. she was in town yeah, a I few months back. I haven't been able to get her. The other one that I've been chasing for a long, long time and still haven't got is Martha Reeves from Martha and the Vandellas. Oh, Vandellas. really? And, of course, it's important because these folks aren't getting any younger. Well, that's my whole point, Dixie. I call it their lives, their stories, their music, and it's really important to me to document all of that in their voices before they go so – well, not so many. A few of them have already passed. And – as a podcast, as you would well know, it's evergreen. People can come back in 10, 20, 50 years' time and hear these artists talking about their lives in their voices. Mm. So it's an archive that I feel is pretty important. Well, okay, let's um, let's have another little listen to Ross Wilson and this particular <laughs> uh, this little particular piece refers to Guys dropping their pants. <laughs> Let's have a listen. Just before we leave Eagle Rock, it's celebrating its 50th anniversary, albeit a little bit late because of COVID. Are you aware, and my kids only made me aware of it recently, that even today when Eagle Rock has played at a celebration like a wedding or an engagement, all the guys drop their pants? Yeah, this is something happened over the last 30 years or so. I don't know where it started. It's quite an insane <laughs> practice. I was horrified when I just found out fairly recently and I've, I've instructed my daughter who's getting married yeah. this coming well, December keep, that she's not to play it. <laughs> you, you keep your undies on, just the pants around your ankles. It's sort of like the uncle putting the lampshade on his head at the, you know, the party or something. <laughs> and it's but, only um, the guys, not the girls. Well, girls have been known to, like, whip up their bras and whip them around. Is that right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How does that feel for you? You've started a whole new ongoing tradition. Well, I didn't start it. You know, I don't know how the Australian public came up with that and now it's all over the place. You know, it's big in um, like a 21st, like you mentioned. It's big in the military, at military colleges. You go to Duntroon or something and you graduate and you become an officer. The other guys find out you didn't drop your pants. You said to Coventry, that's a little You're in trouble. That only happens here in Australia, though, doesn't it? I can't. I mean, maybe the Americans will catch on to it too now that we're telling them about it. Well, if you go onto YouTube, you can find things about some Americans are going, I was in Australia and look what happened when they played this song. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, <laughs> so it's, it is all over the place. But I look at it as an expression of like the silliness of Daddy Cool. Yeah. And this to me seems a, a good response and we can claim it for ourselves just like the Australian public came up with, am I ever going to see your face again? No way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's right. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's something that I wasn't aware of. But then again, you know, I don't think I spent much time at the Thumping Tum or uh, some of the other discos around. Well, I'm not much sure. I don't think they were actually doing it then. It's it's a more recent tradition, as he says, only the last sort of 20 years. And it was started in, well, in said, Queensland. Your daughter's not allowed to have that. Oh, I've said to them, could you please not play Eagle Rock at the wedding? Mm. And she said, absolutely, we're playing it. No <laughs> way known, Mum. But I've learnt on the basis of my daughter's wedding that mothers, whatever mothers want, doesn't Forget count for Forget about They'll anything. go the, uh, yeah, yeah, the other Subject way. for a whole different day. Sandy, it has been joyful to speak to you. More power to you with uh, a breath of fresh air.com.au. It's lovely to see you again, and I think... 
you and I worked together at DB Music together with Paul Thompson and uh, uh, and that would have been 1977. And uh, look at us. We're still doing our stuff. We're still loving our lives and uh, we're still having fun and you're still making great content. As you are, John Deeks. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sandy Kay, our very special guest today on Your Life Choices podcast and I do recommend if you want to... A Breath of Fresh Air, go to abreathoffreshair.com.au. Check out Sandy Kay's wonderful interviews, and it really is the, uh, the musical history of our lives. I love the music. I know you do too. And until next time, this is John Deke saying thank you for joining us on Your Life Choices. Your Life Choices.